So Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept? You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more. So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues and hosts, incredible guests, listeners, Count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it, check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Oh my goodness. Um, let me tell you something. I struggled this week. That's when you're supposed to say why. Oh, I did. Sorry. Why? Why? Uh, So let me tell you, I struggled because there were so many stories coming at us. Like there was so, let me tell you, like I'm literally scrolling through Twitter and I'm looking at reporters and I'm, you know, newspaper. I mean, it was like so much and i I, I just felt like I was all over the place. Like, I didn't know what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, we literally could have recorded every day this week with every two day. new stories and still not talk about the sheer flood of action that's out there right now. Like, I mean, it, it was just it was it, it was crazy, but and it, and it wasn't all bad. It was just so much happening. So I don't know. I mean, I, I just think. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, I'm I'm really fiending right now. Like, I absolutely want some Chipotle. Like, I mean, when I say I want Chipotle and this is really no advertisement, I'll, I'll try not to say their name again. But fiending. Like, did I, I ever take tacos like my favorite food? I ever tell you that? No, no. When I say my favorite, like my absolute favorite. So in high school, every Friday before the football games, you know, I would go over to my best friend's house and. We would make tacos. Sometimes his mom would make tacos. And we're not talking about no gourmet tacos. We're talking about the fattiest of beef, um, you know, mm-hmm. some cheese. It, it just wreck. Oh, I mean, yeah. come on. Think about it. how good is a taco going to be when you are 15, 16 years old. So, but I love tacos. Now in life, I've had some bomb, I mean, some good ass tacos. So, like, I absolutely love tacos. I've been wanting to go to Chipotle 
ever since the beginning of the year and I still haven't made it. So I don't know what life is like for you over in Indiana, but it's crazy for us in Maryland and I'm just trying to be safe. I know. I mean, that's the gig, right? It's just trying to be safe. I will say my weakness is Fazoli's and I probably sneak out once a week, grab some Fazoli's, eat it in my car while I listen to like our podcast <laughs> from the week before or whatever the hell I'm doing just to get out of the damn house. Yeah. And that's pretty much the only time I leave the house for yeah. the whole week. So what are you, what's it called? Fazoli's? Yeah. It's just like fast food Italian. It totally okay. does exactly what I need it to do. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. But why do you eat it in, in the vehicle? Like, uh, okay. Oh, this okay. is silly, but okay. I have heated seats in my car. Uh huh. And I can be out of the house. I open the sunroof, turn it's on fancy. the heated seats, and just get that little time of peace and quiet, catch up on whatever it is I'm listening to at the moment, eat my Fazoli's, throw it in the trash, and come back home, and I feel renewed. So she's there you fancy. Go. She is fancy, <laughs> fancy, fancy. She said, I got the heated seats. I love that. I love it, love it, love it. Okay, cool. All right, so uh, let's talk real quick. Uh, you and I might take issue on this one. So while the the new administration has been on a blistering pace and uh, making some things happen, I learned this week uh, in listening to Roland Martin's show, I can't remember who was talking. I apologize. I'll try to bring it up in a moment. Um, yeah, I don't want you guys to hear a whole bunch of stuff happening on my side. I'm trying to sound like I'm in a real studio but actually you know what it's our pod like i can actually make whatever noise i feel like making but nonetheless uh, i was listening to roland martin earlier this week and um the person he was interviewing said that there have been no black women in a leadership position within the democratic caucus since the 70s i don't think i agree with that Okay, so, so you're more political than I am. So let me hear yep. your take. And, and as soon as I read this in the show notes, of course, you're, you're getting after my party. So I immediately went to work. Okay. Um, and so I guess first defining the Democratic caucus. So the Democratic caucus is the Democrats in the House of Representatives. And so I looked at all of the leadership positions, including the 20-ish committees and my one of the badass bitches on the planet Maxine Waters Mm -hmm. is the chairwoman of financial services Karen Bass is the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus and Bernice Johnson is the chairwoman of science space and tech committees okay now I will say and and overall of those 25 leadership positions I looked at, 32% of them had black leadership, 12 and a half had black female leadership, and then so 20% had black male leadership, including in the top positions, Whip Clyburn and Hakeem Jeffries. Of course, they're male. Um, so while we still can do better, as a representation of of population, we're pretty close to where we should be in terms of female black female representation and leadership and ahead of populous population representation in black male leadership. Got so, it. So let me ask you a question. So I think I heard you say and uh, I recognize Karen Bass. 
I mm-hmm. recognized the name Maxine Waters, and I knew that Maxine was over. What did you say? House Ways and Means. What did you uh, say? Financial Financial Services. So financial the bank. Services. Okay, got yeah. it. And and she is the leader of that committee. Correct. Correct. She is so the chairman. I wonder what this woman um, could have been referring to when she said since the 70s. I'm actually really going to try to pull this up. Yeah, I would love to know. I mean, I think if you take a like top four, right? So speaker, majority leader, whip, and caucus chair, that might be the four leadership positions she's talking about, um, which right now is 50% black representation and 25% female representation white female um and so yeah i would love to know what yeah, i'm missing. Gonna, you know uh, and, and, and here's the ill part i'm gonna have to go back and read that and and then do some more homework on it myself and quiet as kept i uh did a recording for a podcast uh with cornerstone and i referenced that and and as i'm referencing it honestly julie i'm there was a bit of a pause for me because again i am saying Maxine Waters name in my head. I wasn't saying Karen Bass at the time, but I'm saying Maxine Waters and I'm like, there's got to be something I'm missing. And, you know, from an um, apology standpoint, this is where you you got to own up and take responsibility. And so now I'm on a podcast recorded something that could be wrong. So I am going to do some research when that pod drops. I'll be able to record or at least be able to uh, attach an apology to it across all of social media because I always want people to know I'm genuine about this work. I'm not trying to say things that are just hyperbolic. I'm not trying to stretch things out just uh, as a matter of gaining attention, you know, woe is me type stuff. That's not the reason why we talk about these stories. So I'm so glad that you pushed back and brought to my frame of reference at least a few names that I know. And it's going to force me to do a bit of digging and uh, course correction on my side. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's apology worthy. I, I'm sure whoever Roland Martin had on has some sort of factual basis for that. And I'm just looking at it from a, a different perspective. Um, I just want to call out the powerful women who are leading That's right. Um, in the Democratic caucus, knowing especially that the Congressional Black Caucus is one of the most powerful um, a group of representatives in in DC. Yeah. And and love that Karen Bass is their leader. I actually didn't know that too. So good discussion. And just as a side note, man, if you come for my party, you best not miss. You best not miss. Over the weekend, <laughs> General Lloyd Austin, uh, he ordered the Pentagon leaders to review their efforts to prevent and address sexual harassment in the military. Now I think that this is an absolute win for the military. And when we think about some of the work uh that you know, we are expecting of our armed forces. I I absolutely feel like we should in turn as a country and as individuals, as a unit, as an institution, we should be doing everything that we can to prop up and protect the members of the armed forces, all branches, all people who are enrolled in, 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 in fighting to protect for us. And so I just don't feel like we've done a good enough job of protecting women. And when I do and I did do some research here. You know, we, we the the 
the claims of allegations, I'm sorry, the allegations of harassment have actually been rising over the last several years. And yet we haven't been doing a good enough job of of addressing those those claims. And I don't think that's right. I think, you know, General Lloyd Austin did a, a yeoman's job of coming in and saying this is important. And we're starting off making sure that you know that this is important. Yeah. And and kudos to General Lloyd for becoming the first leader or first black leader um, over at the Pentagon as uh, leading the Department of Defense, um, sworn in by our first black VP. But a lot of work happening over at the Pentagon right now between this, um, the rollback of the transgender EO, um, I think late last week, maybe earlier this week by the president as well as the identification of some some growing power of nationalist ideology within the ranks of the military and how um, the the leadership and the brass are going to weed that out. Yeah, well, I mean, and again, it just it just you know reinforces how much work we have to do across all industry because it's not just the military, of course, it's our you know, uh, police forces across the country, our fire support services, uh, you know, across the country. I mean, every single, these folks are there. And so the challenge is that we have to make sure that we are conscious of uh, their postings on social media, their conversations around the dinner table, the holiday dinner table, when you all get together for your cookouts, you can't, we got to root these individuals out. I, I, I say it all the time. I want to see these folks all working inside the same company. Like, let's yeah. just throw all of the, the, the talented racists that can do coding, that can keep spreadsheets, that understand logistics, you know, that are, 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 are an attorney. Let's, listen, put them all in the same company. Go start your own company and all of you all work with and commiserate with one another. Don't be among us. And certainly don't be among us and be out about it. That's one group that I want to be in the closet for real. There, there are yeah. people that argue with me on that. You know, there's some Julie that are like, no, I, I want I want them to be out because I want to know who they are. I want to know how they move. And I get it. I understand why people would take that position. But I'm like, I ain't trying to give you cover. Mm-hmm. No, I don't, wanna, I don't even want to be around. Them. Nope, 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 nope. That's uh, when we've covered. A lot lately. And and I I don't, I don't need any of it. Don't want any of it. Y'all take your hell, go back to your hole you came from. Uh, The the counting system starts with one, I think, or or some would say zero, but, but it would go on a positive, you know, side one, two, Mm -hmm. three, four, five, six, seven, 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 the number of states right now that have passed the Crown Act making race-based hair discrimination illegal. Now, we're not going to spend any time on this story, but the fact that in January of 2021, we are talking about seven states having to pass legislation so that you do not discriminate on whether or not you're going to hire a person based on their hair is incredible to me. And yet, necessary like yes did you ever were you ever aware that this crown act was out did you know that people were being discriminated against because of their hair julie so i did okay. um mostly because i worked in in restaurants 
as a young adult. So we always had to deal with hair coverings and all of those kind of things, not necessarily race-based, but just in general. Uh, and I was actually talking to a couple of my colleagues this week, and we were talking about um, how people always touch their hair as, as black women. Yep. And black women have beautiful hair. Like it makes me jealous all damn day. Y'all have beautiful hair. Um, well, you said y'all. I'm 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 a good exactly. I'm a black man that's bald. I don't. I, I'm not in well, the y'all. Oh, okay, no, not me. Okay, no go ahead. I'm sorry. Black women have beautiful okay, got hair. Gotcha. Um, but I can tell you that no one has ever touched my hair. Like yeah. I, it's going to get a backhand, and not. I would never even think about it. So it's just another interesting side combo that I had this week. So I, I'm very happy to see that that this is happening but you're absolutely right it's it's ridiculous it's freaking 2021 y'all and we got one more small talk but before we do the seven states are california new york new jersey washington virginia maryland and colorado what you got yeah and and just super quick so instacart which i'm a huge fan of love it pay their monthly fee have them do all kinds of shopping for me all the time so i don't have to go out yeah um canceled this week because they decided to fire all employees who discussed or supported unionization. So Instacart, I'm taking back my $10 a month and I'm saving my money and using one of the different services. Now, was did, did Instacart do some sort of a merge uh, with uh, Postmates? <sighs> If they have, I'm unaware. I cannot okay. speak to it. All right. Got it. All right. No worry. I won't get into it. Uh, I thought I saw something around the two coming together, but, mm. but because I didn't read it, I, I don't want to speak on it. You know, just firing people because they want to uh, work together. I absolutely feel like that is um, like, what does that do for the culture? What is that? That's like one of those. We're, we're going to be an atypical organization positions. You know what I mean? That that's what that sounds like to me. Like we're, we're, we're just, we don't want you all to talk about shit that's bothering you. You know, we don't want you to get together to try to make working conditions better. So we're, we're just going to let you go. So yeah, I mean, when they already treat people yeah, like gig, gig workers anyway, I was just going to say like, here we are firing freelance folks. Like right? how crazy is that? It's fucking crazy. Yeah, and ridiculous. So before we get into uh, this week's show, I think it's a great time for us to drop one of those job bite ads. We'll be right back. Really quick before Torin and I hop back into the episode. Have you heard about the new job bite? The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed. But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the Jobvite Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization. Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today. Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show. All right. Awesome. So listen, I appreciate Jobvite. You know, they are one of our newest sponsors and they actually launched something called a job description grader. We'll talk about that in another episode. 
give us some time to uh to play around with it. I think Julie's peeked at it. She actually kind of peeked up and laughed when she saw it. Laughed in a good way. She likes it. So uh, yeah. we'll make sure that we spend some time on the job description grader. But in the meantime, we'll drop it into the show notes. Let's get into this week's show. Yeah. So my God, my head has been spinning at the sheer number of executive orders that have come out from President Biden in his, I guess, first seven days, seven, eight days in office, um, undoing a lot of the discriminatory practices of the, the Trump administration. Um, one this to, or this week that especially caught my attention is um, the, the continued move away from private prison and, and government funding for private prisons as a very positive move. So no private prison contracts will be renewed. No um, further RFPs will be put out for private prisons to, as a start or a piece of addressing our massive culture of incarceration in this country. And so what I didn't know that I, I thought was interesting as we were prepping for the show is about there are only, only, there are about 15,000 prisoners who are currently in federal, pr or I'm sorry, private prisons at this time, right? And a lot of them are actually now on home detention due to COVID because we can't keep people in um, congregate settings like prisons safe from COVID. Mm -hmm. But there are still 155,000 humans in federal publicly funded prisons. Yep. And so, you know, I, I was watching Hakeem Jeffries yesterday and he, he made the point, like, we still have way too many people in, in prisons. I, I think we both are in agreement of that. But when you think about all of the, the heat that the private prisons take, you shouldn't be able to make money off of incarcerating another human being. This is my position. Um, but, but Rep. Jeffries made a really good point in saying that the, the problem is the mass incarceration. Um, that we have. And yesterday being Tuesday, um, Biden signed a series of executive orders to take a holistic approach um, on racial equity. So it, it's not just prisons, but it's also getting to a place where we have fair housing. He rolled back the HUD EO about um, racial bias SMB funding, access to education, making sure that we are not just talking about the incarcerated or those who have died. We are talking about the whole human and yeah, the whole yeah, life but, experience. But let me go jump ahead. in. So, so before yeah. we talk about that a little bit more, go back to your statement. You don't feel like prisons should be able to profit off of incarceration. Yes. How do you feel prisons should be operated? I think that prisons should be operated by the government. If if we have people who need to be incarcerated, not for just incarceration's sake, then those should be answerable to the people and be funded by the government. Interesting. So if if I'm if I'm getting paid $100 a head, and I'm just making up a number, $100 a head um, 
per day per person that I have in my private prison, then as a business, I need to make sure that my operating funds or my operating costs are less than $100 a person because I am responsible to shareholders, which is why federal or private prisons are very profitable. Um, This is not just a a black um, issue. This is very much an immigration issue. I think I want to say, and I'm I'm taking a stab in the dark trying to remember, about 80% of immigrant detention centers are run by private prison contractors. Um, That's not how we should manage our immigration system. And so this whole, the whole system is built on treating a human being as a profit line and then making sure that we spend less to take care of that person than they deserve. So I want to understand. So do you mean in general incarceration should be a government responsibility or do you mean federal prisons should be run by the government and not private organizations? I mean, all. All two and a half million people incarcerated. You feel like that should fall under the government's guise. Yes. And it can, and, and we can have a, we have a system of, you know, county jails, state prisons, federal prisons, right? The, I, I am not on its face opposed to having different, different levels of oversight, but I don't think anyone should be able to take stock in an organization that is paid to make money off holding people in detention. Interesting. Now, I I disagree with that. I actually think that, yeah, I think that I don't mind that we have privatized prisons. That's not my issue. My issue is how they treat and or exploit the prisoners. That's my issue. My issue is if you're if if in fact and it's not if if it's privatized then you are in this game because you are trying to turn a profit. So taking prisoners and having slave labor is an issue for me. That that's really what it comes down to. These individuals working for little to nothing in many instances. These individuals not receiving proper health care. Uh you know, just I talked to my friend, well, not talk to, but we communicate back and forth via email. And he tells me about some of the scenarios as it relates to, and he's in a federal institution, you know, telling me about how they are handling or not handling COVID inside or behind the walls. That's a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily developing those individuals so that they have some degree of skill when they get out and can avoid that recidivism, that's an issue for me. And so I think I don't mind the the privatization aspect. It's how you are wielding such and are you doing it in a way that takes care of your people. And I think in too many of these instances, whether it be local, state, or federal, I think in too many of these instances, that's questionable. Yeah, and I just don't and, know and, if our government. I just don't know if our government is equipped 
to add, I'll just call it a line item, another responsibility, another department. I don't know if they are equipped to do it in a way that um, would be much better. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one, the number one thing is that we need to cut our prison population dramatically, right? Well, we because could do that. Like we could right. actually do that. I mean, think Get about how many people are in, think about how many people are, are in locked up right now for marijuana. Exactly. There you go. Okay, cool. We, we agree. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, and I think the important thing just on the private prison front is the federal government doesn't have to make a profit. Right. A private prison, which is which are generally publicly traded companies, has to give a percentage back to their shareholders. That's how privatization works. Right. That's how private companies work. And so it's it's a constant how can we cut? How can we cut? How can we cut? So that the focus is not on rehabilitation. It's not on safety. It's not on, um, you know, early release. It's not on work programs. It's on how in the hell do I get the maximum return to my shareholders? And that's not right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we agree on that. Um, it, it's certainly not something that we're going to solve uh, anytime soon, whether it be First Step Acts and all of these other Yep. Things that have been done in the prior administration and certainly in the beginning days of this newer administration. But I absolutely believe that it was a great first step, you know, saying, listen, we are going to absolutely change this relationship that I was cool with. You know, he actually themed out the uh, executive orders. Um, yep. So for every day of June, January, there is a different theme. And so for a lot of you, he they have been busy. Yeah, I don't know if you get up to catch Susan Rice on on Tuesday, who has stepped in as a domestic policy advisor. Um, but you know, she cited a Citigroup study from last year that um, said our U.S. GDP lost sixteen trillion dollars over the last twenty years yep. as a result of discriminatory practices and education and access, and that we could boost our GDP by five trillion dollars over the next year if we started to address address issues of discrimination. Yeah, over the next five years. And it, the Citibank study actually came out in September of 2020. I've quoted it a number of times speaking, and I'm going to be quoting it again uh, as we start to ramp up speaking season for 2021. And why am I doing that? Because I think that's the data that you all need to see. Yep. Like, so, I don't care about your HR tech as much as I care about how you are being a better human. You shouldn't care about uh, the newest spreadsheet or some incredible shiny tool as much as you should be caring about how are we impacting, how are we standing up and supporting racism or uh, keeping people from being able to be as full as they possibly can be? How are we contributing to this inequality that is like it is choking us? That's the number that people need to hear. $16 trillion in the last 20 years. Like, that's the number you need to be thinking about. That's the number we should be thinking about. And we should be more focused on how do we operate and move going forward so that we don't lose that $5 trillion and that we actually realize it, that we gain it. And, and what Susan Rice didn't say on Tuesday was that any of you were going to lose anything by us aggressively going after it. It's changing how we see humanity. So I think that it was perfect. And I'm, I'm glad that she's 
you know, a part of the administration in some capacity trying to help them to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you have for us? Got it. So I I was going to talk about uh, these two CBS television station executives, uh, one guy by the name of Peter Dunn, the other uh, by the name of David Friend, who cultivated hostile working environments all across the country. I was going to talk about them, but no need. They've been put out to pasture for at least a little bit. They've been suspended. uh, And we'll see whether or not um, this time when CBS brings in uh, an external resource to do a bit of digging, whether they come back with something more substantive. I remember on Sirius XM in 2019, I interviewed Whitney. I can't remember her last name right now. Whitney. Yeah, I can't remember her last name. but you know, she was a part of that, that, that crew, a number of people who talked to outside legal uh, consultation, gave descriptions of allegations of harassment and racism, and yet they found nothing. That's what they came back with. So I'm hoping that this time they come back and they find something. I actually was going to put up a change.org petition, but since they are uh, suspended at this point, I'm going to leave it alone. But what I am going to talk about is the $100 million lawsuit by Hero. It's an ad agency out of New York City. So here's the reason why I want to bring this up. Hero and their founder supported um, DDB's effort to get a, you ready? A $10 billion contract with the U.S. Army. Wow. $10 billion? $10 billion contract with U.S. Army. Now, let me tell you, Julie, you just don't win a $10 billion contract. It takes some time. It's a contract stretched out over a 10-year period. Sizable. Sizable. The Army is spending a sizable amount of money to curate messaging and event and scenario that is attractive to audiences that they feel are less than represented have historically been overlooked. $10 billion contract. And it's one of those things where you have to have, you know, subcontractors. And in order for you to even go after this work with the army, you have to be able to show that we have a, a number of different minority, as they call them. I hate that phrase that rep, that reference, but in the context of this, you have to have some minority representation included in your response. Got it. So they had been working with Joe Anthony, who is the founder of Hero, the Hero Group. And I won't go into all the detail, but let's just say he's got insight and experience working with the Army. So he was able to kind of give them some of the, the nuance of here's what you need to be talking about. Here's how you need to shape the proposal. Here's some things that are going to be important to them. Here's some stuff that we should probably avoid. Here's some things that we looked at before. They didn't necessarily work. We absolutely can look at them now because conditions are better. You know the whole kit and caboodle. You bring your experience to the equation. They won the contract. What do you think DDB did? DDB didn't include Hero Group. Oh, that's some bullshit. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's a big problem. 
But here's the bigger problem. They didn't include them. They didn't mention them. They cut off communication with them. So now we have, they have a $10 billion uh, opportunity, never mentioned hero. And in order for hero to participate in any of the work going forward, they had to already have had approval from the army. Here's where I want to pause. Whoa. They, so, oh, damn. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, I'm good. Go ahead. So they got all of the, the proposal all the way together and then submitted it without. Without. Oh, including damn. a mention of hero. So the only reason Joe Anthony found out is because once communication stopped with DDB, he's like, wait a minute, let me just go to the army. and Because, again, he's got history with them. He's got contacts with them. So he reaches out to his people and then like, uh, you're not included in this. Like there's no mention of hero whatsoever. Here's where I want to pause. Who do you believe has been the biggest benefactor of DNI work in the last 30 years, Julie? Uh, white people? White women. White women. Who close. It's been white women. So when these set-asides are a part of the response, whether you are at the local level in your city, whether it be at the state or the federal level, level what they started to do in the late 80s, early 90s, white men that owned companies started to get a bit, you know, they were a bit up, upset about this set aside. You having to bring other partners into the equation in order to be able to respond. And so what they started doing was setting up smaller companies and putting them in the name of their wives, their girlfriends, their daughters, their uh, sisters. And then they would get the contract because it would look like they were tied to a person who was underrepresented or historically overlooked and white women benefited money stayed in the family money stayed inside of the existing company money stayed in the community. And the, the, the piece that is really gnawing at me is the fact that this, this organization just at the small percentage that he should have gotten through the work that he would have, probably generated somewhere between 100 200 million dollars for his organization. What does he what what are you able to do when you know you got 100 to 200 million dollars coming in over the course of the next decade? You yeah. get to buy other organizations, you get to hire more people, you get to give raises, you get to improve your technology, you get to look at acquisitions. I mean, what do you do with 100 to 200 million dollars other than sit around and say Life is going to be all right for the next decade. Well, and, and what the what the hell does DDB really lose out of a $10 billion contract? Like, what is $200 million? Nothing. 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 So I'm so absolutely frustrated on this particular story. And I am hoping that Joe Anthony and his entire team win this lawsuit. I'm sure it's going to take a bit of time. My hope is that it doesn't take a lot of time because this is something that actually happened in May of 20. I'm sorry, in 2020, early parts of 2020 or late parts of 2019. So it's already been an expense. 
you know, flying back and forth, spending hours putting the proposals together, conference call, all of these things. You you're investing time. I mean, it takes time. I mean, it's like almost a two year period to get a contract like this. It's no telling how much money he invested out of pocket, but I hope he gets every single penny that he's going after. Every single penny. Yeah. Let me tell you one quick note to close this out. It, this is no shade on white women. This is no shade on white women because, yes, you have historically been overlooked. So I'm cool with you being able to participate and to get some of the set aside that these uh, opportunities have built into them. This is no shade on you all. This is really about the 53% of you. <laughs> Slid that in there real quick. <laughs> this is about you all understanding when we are out there fighting that we should all be fighting together. It should not just be one group. We should all be out there fighting together instead of fighting one another. Who's your name, Josh? Um, so, friend of the pod, uh, Josh Akers, uh, who actually just sent me over a job opening for a vice president of diversity and inclusion at the United Way of Central Indiana. Um, love it. I'm going to post it on our Facebook and LinkedIn pages. I know the salary is definitely agreeable. Um, so thanks, Josh, for sharing. And if anyone else, when you guys have DNI openings, send them our way. I'd love to share them. Love Josh. I remember the first time he hit me on social media and I looked at his picture. I was like, yo, this picture looks like Batman, but he's not, he's not in costume. It was just the dark shade and the lighting, you know, the picture I'm talking about. And I'm like, yes, that looks like Batman. This dude is cool. <laughs> just off, just off the strength of his profile pic. I was like, I'm connecting with this dude off of that right there. What's up, Josh, man. We appreciate you for sharing that. My name drop goes to uh, QB Consulting is really freak uh, funky because on Twitter it's actually consult underscore QB consult underscore QB but the co-founders Noemi Menez and Sam Hartsock are two incredible individuals they, um, they operate in the ESG space and earlier this month Future 500 including them on the list of the 14 best sustainability and stakeholder engagement newsletters out there. If you are not reading um, or a part of QB Consulting's email newsletter list, I highly encourage you to get on the list. It's some interesting, it's fun reading. They curate a really good newsletter. They do stuff that I couldn't ever do, but more importantly, they do great work. They help organizations to look at their ESG initiatives through the lens of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So they are powerful in that regard. Excellent. A new follow for me. So just in closing, uh, January 27th is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, this is the day that Auschwitz was liberated by the Soviet army in 1945. And as we've talked a lot about on the show, that is the reflection of the horrors of nationalism and xenophobia at its worst. And I think it's always a good time to remember that it's our job to make sure that we're stopping it in its tracks now and recognizing it and not letting it, letting it grow. So this week I've had my chin checked four times, three by Rachel uh, Williams from X 
and wants by you. Uh, and so I appreciate it. I said it when I was on my panel uh, with Rachel earlier in the week, and I'm saying it to you right now in the show. I love it when I can get corrected. Like there's no animus for me. I ain't embarrassed. I don't feel bad about it. I'm really good about getting my chin checked. And I hope the rest of you out there drop fragility, drop having to be right and operate real time, operate in the moment and understand that we are going to all have to course correct at some point. And in the words of Alvin Ailey, the creative process is not controlled by a switch that you can simply turn on or off. It's with you all the time. I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to find your voice in the workplace. Be a better human. Let's create better culture, better teams, and better workplaces for now. Jay and I are ghost. See ya. So, Torin, we have a sponsor. Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle. You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto. So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples. So Tom S. said Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department. Shout out to Tom. But do you have more? Yes, I have another one from Station who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR. Out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do. So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider. Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google, and, and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.